So today we're talking about vision. And so I think about, whenever I think about vision, I think about my own eyesight. And I, I had poor, very poor eyesight growing up, which really hurt my Little League career. And I really, I get a kick out of coaching, so I just started coaching um, flag football, my son's flag football team, which was uh, a little bit of fun last night. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but I, it, the, the temptation for dads and for other youth coaches is to try to either relive or somehow improve their uh, childhood experiences through their own children, and it's a very dangerous thing. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the philosophy of, of, of that, uh, although I think we might have played a team that was doing that last night. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it, but it is a temptation because I wasn't very good then because my vision was so poor, but I didn't know it. I thought I had normal eyesight like everyone else. Uh, it was actually quite poor, and so I played the outfield, which is where they put players of my caliber. Uh, in, as a child, and a fly ball would come to the outfield. Now, I didn't realize that you're supposed to be able to see the ball off the end of the bat and run towards it. I would have to wait till it was about halfway to the outfield and realize the ball is coming towards me, and I would get what they call a late break on the ball. It wasn't, it wasn't that I was so slow, although I wasn't, I, I was that too. But it wasn't just that, it was the fact that I couldn't see it off the bat. The week, no joke, the week after Little League ended my last game, and we did not make the playoffs that year, um, I got my first pair of glasses, and I could see clearly, and I rode my bike to the ball field to see a playoff game, and from the outfield fence, I could see the balls being pitched in and being hit, and I thought, this is spectacular. People can actually see these things happening, and I could, might have actually caught a fly ball, might have actually been able to accomplish some of these things. And um, anyway, so now I just have to prove myself on, you know, slow pitch softball diamonds and, you know, coaching my kids or whatever. But, um, but I couldn't see as I should. And I had my vision corrected uh, not too long ago. And that really helped a lot because I could see things. The first, I remember the first day, I've told you this before, but the first day I got up and uh, take a shower and I thought to myself, this shower is I can't believe we actually clean ourselves in this thing. But I had never seen it because I never had my contacts or my glasses in at that point in my routine to see how filthy the tub was. And I got scrubbing right away. And that was, um, and we have, anyway, that's ebb and float as well. But um, we're talking about vision today in just the same way that I needed to see that ball off in the distance because my goal was to catch it. Talk about Jesus' vision for his church. This sort of this goal off in the distance that we can pursue if we can see it. And we can see it because he's showed it to us. So our vision can be blurry in many ways spiritually, but Jesus made it crystal clear so we know what we're running after. And it's actually a very beautiful and bold vision I want to look at from this passage today. And so where it's a three-week sermon series called Essentials. These are just the essential parts of our faith. Last week we talked, we're going to go mission, vision, values. Last week was about Jesus' mission for his church, which is essentially to make disciples. And as we go and make disciples, it's not always about going far away, but everywhere we go, it's as we go that God has uniquely positioned you, as Pastor Brian highlighted last week, to where you are and who you are at the time and place with, surrounded by the people who surround you to be able to live out that beautiful mission. And that doesn't change we articulate our mission uh, in, 
with the language, we, we use the language, we invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ in a community of Christian love, develop in them Christ-like maturity, and mobilize them for service to his church and the world in order to glorify God. That's our church mission statement. Jesus just said, go make disciples. He was simpler, and we like to use lots of words. But it's essentially the same thing doesn't change. And this beautiful vision is, uh, we're going to hopefully just capture that this morning. And we have, the, our church has a vision statement as well. We've been articulating it as uh, love God, love others, and being real, being authentic with one another as we seek to love God and love other people around us. And um, as we think about that, I want to look at what Jesus said here and just kind of see the, the parallels a little bit in this. Jesus is giving just a beautiful vision here. He said, I'm going to go, this is what's happening. I'm going away from this earth. And I'm going to where you can't be. But while I'm away, I have a way of life that you need to live. I have a, a way of life that I'm just going to command you to live in my goodness and in my wisdom. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you an example of it, and I'm going to demonstrate it for you. And this is the way of life you need to live. And it's a big, beautiful vision for his people. I want us to catch it this morning as we look into God's word. Let's pray. Father God, as your people, as your church, we've gathered here both to celebrate your goodness and acknowledge your presence to experience your presence, Lord, even in this place. So we pray that you are glorified by our songs and words of worship to you. But we have also come, Lord, not just to give, but to receive from you your goodness. And you are a God who is so generous to pour out your love and your grace over and over and abundantly, Lord. So fill us in this time. Help us to understand your word. Help us to catch your vision, Lord. May it be clear to us. So be our teacher in this time. We give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, the first thing, the uh, first point here is that Jesus' vision for his church starts and ends with God's glory, the glory of the Father. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself. And will glorify him at once. And that's kind of a mouthful. It, what is he even saying there? Jesus is saying that the glory of the Son, God the Son, glory of God the Father, are so intertwined that it's shared. As the Son is glorified, and the word glory is um, about bigness and weight and, and magnified. As the sun becomes great and is glorified, and, and most amazingly glorified in his act of sacrifice on the cross, that God the Father is glorified in that, and that God is so great in his work and his glory that the Son is glorified in the Father by his obedience and, and their work together. And this is a, a, just a beautiful whirlwind of glory. It's a shared glory between the Father and the Son. We've been working through the prophet Isaiah this summer. For those of you who are here for that, Isaiah chapter 49, God is addressing this servant of the Lord, who we know is Jesus. So God addresses the servant and says, you are my servant in whom I will display my splendor. So God's splendor is displayed in Jesus, and Jesus' splendor of his holiness is reflected back to the Father. It's just this beautiful oneness 
in God. And if we think about that as sort of Jesus' motivation, his beginning and ending point, it, it really changes how we answer some questions. You could ask the question, why did Jesus endure the cross? Why did he do that? Why did Jesus die on the cross? We often answer that, well, he did that for me. That Jesus, he died because he loved us. And that's true. That's an absolutely true statement. But also true is, Jesus died on the cross because he loved the Father. Jesus died on the cross because he was fulfilling the calling that the Heavenly Father gave to him. That God the Father, his purpose, God the Son was completing, and it was because he loved God the Father that he went to the cross, not just because he loved you. And that's the, that's the starting point, and that's the ending point of his work. That's amazing. It's a love of God, a desire to see God glorified. It's seeing God as supreme in all things. So the question for us as a church, so Jesus' vision starts and ends with the glory of God the Father. Do we see God that supreme? This is at the core of our faith. Do I see God as the most supreme thing in my, the vision for my life, in my every day? And if not, then how is that going to happen? How do you capture that? How do you even get there? You know, what would it take for you? I remember sitting in groups with, we mostly working with um, students in our youth ministry. Back when I used to do a lot of youth ministry, we would ask this kind of question. You know, what would it take for you to see God as supreme in all things? Or what would it take for you to just fully commit your life to the Lord and not hold back and not turn it off? Like, what would it take? What would it take for you to just have complete faith? And we'd, what would it be? And we tried to bat that around because it was hard to, I don't know, what would it take? Some students, I remember one student said, well, if God just showed up and just revealed himself to me, just, here I am, I am real, you can be certain that I am God, then that would be enough for me. That would be good. I said, well, God did that. God came to this earth. He took, took on human flesh that he could be touched and held and so that we could have complete confidence. And he did that. And the student said, well, I wasn't there. You know, if he did that today, then I could do that. I said, yeah, but people that in that day saw him and touched him and worked with him and did not believe. That wasn't enough for them. I remember one student said, well, what about a miracle? If, if God just did something so miraculous that it just couldn't be explained by science or anything, and, that, and I was just right in front of me and convinced, and I said, God did that. A lot of times, Jesus uh, demonstrated authority over even weather and nature, and God did this. He said, yeah, but he didn't do it, you know, I didn't see it, I wasn't there. I said, well, people saw it, and some believed and were amazed and put their faith in him. And others said, this must be from the, the devil. It, it wasn't enough to even be there for some people. Jesus himself said in a parable, but he said, even if... He said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And he did that too. People aren't convinced. So I, so I was thinking about, okay, if, if we're going to understand this together, if, I, if God is to be supreme in our lives, the number one thing we're fully committed to, we're committed to his glory, what's it going to take for us? And I don't know if there's one miracle or one thing that God can reveal to us, but I believe that uh, turning to him in faith is the key. Small acts of faith. Trusting him. Small acts of repentance. 
you know, turning away from our own sin. Say, God, give me this. I want to have this faith. I don't know if, I confess that other things have been supreme, you know, on any given day at any given time. But I want this to be the number one for me. And just those small acts of prayer to help us reorient and make that supreme. But that's where Jesus' vision starts in us. And that's the first thing. Second thing. Jesus' vision for his church is that we love as he loved. And he says it so clearly. Verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another... You know, last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture that we call the Great Commission. This make disciples of all nations. Uh, so we, we call that the Great Commission. This particular command, we call the Great Commandment. And he said, it's a new command I give you. It's to love one another. And it wasn't an entirely new concept. So... Uh, the, in Leviticus, it teaches, you know, love your neighbor as yourself you love each other. Uh, but there's a newness to it when Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, he says this. He says, the new command, it's simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate. It's profound enough that even the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All right, we're going to memorize this. It's only going to take like 10 seconds. So like the classroom, you're going to repeat after me, okay? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. One time in unison, okay? On three. So that's already ready to go. I love it. Uh, one, two, three. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's, so, it's that simple, yet it's, it's so profound. And we could do a whole sermon series on what does it look like to love one another as Christ loved. He had just gotten up from a meal their master and their Lord. And he removed his outer clothing and he took on the role of a servant. He washed their feet, their dirty, stinky feet. And he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. And he poured wine. So this is my blood just, uh, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He's, he's demonstrating in action and in, in symbols how deep his love is even to give his life. And we could just... We could spend forever on this. This is our goal. Jesus also, he, he also worded this same thing a little differently, but he called it the first, the greatest, and the most important commandment. To love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself as the second, just like it. Love God, love others. That's the vision. As Jesus has loved, so we are to love, and that's a love that is humbling ourselves, that gives up our rights, that gives up our authority, that just puts others before ourselves. It's a profound love. We, again, I, that's a whole nother, that, that's our whole lives of faith to live that out together. Um, 
So we'll figure, we'll figure that out. Um, but what happens is, and we do that here. That's why we gather, to try to figure out what that looks like. We also gather in small groups throughout the week. And there's new groups sticking, uh, starting off in new programs. There's not just kids' stuff, but there's other stuff that's starting up. So after service today, go down to the rally downstairs, and you know it's a rally because there's balloons. So you can't miss it. Even if you're inclined to kind of hang around the sanctuary, I encourage you today, just go down and walk through and just check some of that stuff out because we, we need to gather together during the week and, and try to flesh this out together. But I want to point out a third thing before we you know, think about jumping into this beautiful life of love. The third thing is this. Jesus' vision for his church forces us to come to grips with our own sinfulness. The, all, the fact that we're all just sinners saved by grace. And Peter uh, reminds us that. Jesus' disciple Peter. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Which is an interesting question because Jesus said this. He said, I'm going, you cannot come. But here's my vision for you. You're going to love as I have loved you. You must love one another. And Peter says, oh, why can't we come? It's like talking to a child. <laughs> Tell my children, kids, I've got to run over to the office real quick. You can't come with me because I need you to stay home. And the pizza dough is on the counter because it's, um, what do you call that? And the dough is just... Yeah, resting. The dough is resting. So the you're going to hear the timer go off, and I need you to take the dough and put the dough in the fridge so that it will stop resting. It'll, it'll stop, and then it'll make perfect pizza for us. Um, and they say, well, why can't we go with you? Oh, do you have any questions about this important task of the dough? Why can't we go with you to the office? Did you not hear what I said? Do you want to ruin your dinner? Do you not like pizza? What is wrong with your children? <laughs> Jesus says, you can't come with me, but here's what you need to do. You need to love one another. He says, where, where are you going? How come we can't go? Um, and Jesus replies, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Um, Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers him, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And in some way, I, I love Peter's heart in this. It's like, Jesus, whatever you're doing, I'm in. All the way. And I'll die for it. And Jesus said, really? You, as soon as... It's, it's a very easy trap that any one of us can fall into. The same trap that Peter's falling into. It's, we just trade this utter dependency we have on Jesus. And we trade it for our own self-sufficiency, our own doing it ourselves. That's a very human... Actually, that's the heart of all sin, right? That's in the Garden of Eden. You go to Adam and Eve. You know, God gave, did God really give you those instructions? No, actually, we'll just kind of do it ourselves to see what God is holding back from us. No, I, I love the enthusiasm, but it's... it's as soon as we start to do that, we, we are ignorant of our own brokenness and our own failure, and it overemphasizes our goodness and our confidence in ourselves. And I used to, I mean, I actually used to believe that this is the way that the Christian faith worked. And I grew up going to church, and nobody explicitly said it to me, but this is what I thought, that 
salvation is this beautiful gift you get by God's grace. You can't earn it. Jesus accomplished it on the cross. You get this beautiful thing. And now your job is don't mess it up. Don't tarnish it. So the job of the Christian life is to now protect and keep this thing clean. The problem was, as I lived my life, I really dirtied this thing up. And, but that was embarrassing because my whole job is to keep it clean. So I'd kind of hide and like, try to polish it up. And here's my beautiful thing. And I really, you know, it just it didn't work. And what happens is when we start to think like Peter's thinking here, we face temptation and we face maybe you're caught in an addiction or a compulsion. And this thing, this beautiful thing that Christ gave you is dirty and you kind of, like you, do, you don't even want to show it, kind of hide it. And what we're trying to do as a church is say, look, that's not how the Christian faith works. You have been given this beautiful thing, but you're, it's, it's, it's a flowing, it's, it's God's grace flowing to you every day. So as you continue to wrestle with the sin in your life and as God is developing a new goodness and holiness in you, it is beautiful and it is going to be pretty, but it's, you know, there's going to be marks on that thing and you need to just keep turning to him so that he is the one keeping it clean. He's the only one who can keep it fully clean. That's why he says to Peter, you really, you really think you can go all the way? So we gather and we help each other with this stuff. That's why the, I, we love our small groups. If, and if you have not been into a small group or you want to connect with one, now's a good time because groups are kind of restarting. And we wrestle with these things together. You know, when, people, when your marriage is struggling, people, oh, wait, I, I'm not supposed to have that. So I'm going to hide. No, we need to be real and authentic and say, no, no, Lord. You know, we do marriage, you know, enrichment stuff and marriage courses and things that try to help people who are, are struggling or just... Uh, you know, preventative stuff. People with financial struggles can be so embarrassing. If, if your fi personal finances and are all screwed up and you got all this debt, credit card debt, and you, you don't know what to do, is, I mean, people want to take that and kind of hide it. Like, oh, no, I wasn't supposed to do that. You know, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm supposed to have all that stuff kind of together. So we offer a course last spring on a fi a Financial Peace University. It's very helpful stuff. And we were planning for about 12 to 15 people to take this course and work together to, to how do we understand our finances in a good, godly way and understand what scripture teaches about these things. 80 people showed up, plus 30 kids. I mean, associated. So it was over 100. It's bigger than some churches. And it wasn't that all those people had you know, horrible financial disasters. A lot of it was just learning and doing it better and honoring God with it. That wasn't, it wasn't because it was so bad, but it just, you know, it's okay. Look, you're struggling with that. Don't hide that thing. Let's work on it together. We're a church. We're God's people. Uh, spiritual struggles. People have questions of faith. Or a coworker, um, you know, a coworker asked. I was talking to a friend and it, about, you know, how is it living out your faith and work? He's like, that yeah, doesn't come up often, but sometimes I let it out. And and the coworker says, you don't believe in that stuff, do you? Because he was talking about his going to church. He said, well, actually, I do. I do believe that stuff. And um, anyway, but can we, is this, are we a safe place for to be real and just share our doubts with each other and wrestle through the scriptures and prayer and, and understand these things together? That's the vision. If we're going to, if God's going to be supreme, so loving God with all our heart, and we're going to love one another as Jesus loved, we've got to be in tune with the reality that in order to do this well, we just got to be, we just got to be real. That's why we have a statement that says, love God, love others, and be real be authentic. That statement came from about four years ago. We were on a retreat with the elders at the time, 
and just thinking about where is God, what is, the, what is the vision for this season of our church? Because we've got a bunch of different vision statements. We'll probably have another one coming up soon. Just kind of refocusing, Lord, where, where are you leading us? That's what vision's all about. It's all about our mission doesn't change, but that vision, you know, God is refining and sharpening the specifics of that. And, you know, realizing that we were seeing people, you know, do this ashamed thing. We also saw people in conflict with one another who couldn't resolve, like, just conflict not being resolved so we start, all right, Lord, this is, this is the vision. Let's do it. Let's start teaching about this, and let's get some training about biblical peacemaking. And we did some of these things. And Pastor David came in, and he showed us this beautiful vision of just a life that's just open, and his mentoring, and his uh, life of really confession of sin, and his work with a lot of the men in our church. Just a beautiful ministry. And then Pastor Brian comes in and just, again, helps us to push us that much closer to this vision of just being open and real, that, that no life is wasted, that you could, you know, be a, an addict on the street, be, but God has a beautiful plan for you to be a minister of, of his gospel, that, you know, that you don't need to be ashamed of your past, and that God is transforming all of us. And, you know, we just get blessed over and over by the people who God has called to be part of this thing with us together as his church. And I don't expect that would not continue. And that God will continue to help us to move towards this beautiful vision of loving him supreme. Loving each other as he loved us. And just being real and authentic as we struggle through it together. Um, let's, that's good enough, right? Oh. No, it's not. <laughs> One last thing, I promise. Uh, one of the biggest things right now that fits this about being real with each other is the reality of what I'll call the sacred-secular divide. That we're doing good at being real with each other in our groups and authenticity and sharing our struggles and confessing sin and that sort of thing. Now here's the trick. Now we've got to bring out to the world. And we live in a culture that says faith is a private matter. It's individualistic. And you're, you're free by the laws of our land to worship freely. But that's your thing. So please keep it to yourself. And we live in a world that says that's a very private, secret kind of thing. But we are, and we tend, because of that, we can be prone to divide our faith life from our secular life. Our sacred life and our secular life. And that's not God's vision for us. That we are his people everywhere in the everyday. That's why we've been using this language over and over, and if you get tired of hearing it, then that's, that warms my heart because it means we've said it enough times and you've heard it. That it's in the everyday, it's in your place of work, in your school, in your neighborhood, that we're going to live this out with no divide. And um, it's in the midst of life that God is at work. And Brian hit that last week if you were here. You know, pay, he said, pay attention to the world around you. Pay attention to the person who serves your coffee. Pay attention to your neighbor the person in the next office. Pay attention to why God has called you there because your life of faith, you know, it doesn't end. And God can use that. So, you know, and a good reminder this week, some of you have been fasting in different ways and praying. And I had a friend who, a guy in my small group who was fasting, and he said, man, this is really helpful because you get hungry all the time throughout the day. And he had been spending a portion of the day not eating and just really reminded how constant the need was and that's just a great image of the constant you know moment by moment dependence we have on him and that's what we're working on that together that's our 
That's our call. So I pray that uh, this time, tomorrow, we might, that some aspect of this God supreme, loving as Jesus loved, and even trying to uh, authentically live it out in our everyday, uh, that God would just bless his church greatly as we pursue that beautiful vision together. Amen.